very good afternoon to you. I'm Howard Feldman. This is a Synthesis Podcast. And today I am absolutely thrilled to be chatting to Dr. Tumi Sumeti. She is, of course, the CEO of Sapra, uh, an unbelievably interesting position to be dealing with at, uh, at the moment. Did you ever in your wildest dreams imagine that this was going to be your life? Not at all. You know, I thought I'll join the regulator and tackle matters of oncology drugs, um, TB, HIV drugs, you know, new regulations around medical devices, you know, the usual things. Right. Not ever in my wildest dreams would I have thought of COVID. And ivermectin. Do you wake up screaming from ivermectin? <laughs> Let's not mention ivermectin. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, in fact, this isn't about ivermectin, so 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 we're okay. I've got this theory that ivermectin. Uh, I think I mentioned it to you maybe on the phone call once. Uh, ivermectin are like um, uh, Bitcoin traders. The minute you say anything, they're there on social media. But we're going to keep that aside for now. We wanted to talk about the vaccines, and part of the the reason that that we wanted to have this conversation is that there's this understandable. I guess, uh, nervousness around what we're putting into our bodies. Uh, it, is it effective? Isn't it effective? Is it dangerous? Has the research been rushed? Take us through uh, from a scientific perspective as the regulator, what you have been through in order by the time you get to approve a vaccination. Sure, thank you. And, and I mean, I think the public... Um... Uh, concerns around the speed of development um, is understandable, right? Because typically this is a long development timeframe. But this is what happens when you are under a pandemic in that you don't have the luxury of time uh, wherein you have solutions that could be feasible um, in addressing um, specific, you know, elements of, of, of management of the pandemic. And what you, what you will find is with the number, and, and today we're talking vaccines, but with the number of these vaccines, it's technology that already existed. If you look at the ad, um, the adenovirus vectors, that's been in existence for many years. The um, inactivated viruses, that technology has been in existence for many years. The relatively newer technologies, the mRNA, but also it's not so new, right? There's been a lot of R&D that's gone into it for, um, you know, oncology vaccines, oncology treatments, et cetera. So there's a lot of um, R&D that went into that. Mm -hmm. So that, that's one important point that we must reflect on, but also for us as a regulator. I mean, we have to ensure that whatever that we authorize, the three key principles of safety, quality, and efficacy are addressed. And while we are under emergency, we have also mechanisms of how we operate around uh, when we do have a public health emergency. And so the, the, the comfort we can give to the public is that we have not compromised on these three elements. And there's then you know, regular uh, monitoring of these products. And, and in fact, and I don't want to get into the political side of it because that's not the subject of this conversation at all, but we saw you coming under immense political pressure a few months ago to approve vaccines, that must be quite difficult because then you, you, you still have to adhere to the scientific principles, even given pressure. So even in the context of, of pressure, you're right, we do have to adhere to the scientific principles, but the, you know, putting the political pressure aside, 
I think we do have the pressure of the fact that we are under a pandemic. So mm, we do so. have to demonstrate um, flexibility and agility in how we operate. So while we don't compromise on the core principles, there are operational elements that you know we've had to reconsider um, and build in some agility so that we are responsible so to this pandemic. One of those, and, and we've had this conversation before, is one of those aspects is how every batch that is of, of vaccines that comes into the country is approved. You, you don't have the time to go through a long process there. Take us through what happens. Exactly. So, I mean, typically when you authorize, um, in this case, a vaccine or a biological, um, every batch that arrives in the country, you would take samples from that. And our national control lab would do testing on that to make sure that the quality of that product still confirms confers with the quality of what we have approved. Now, because um, some of these are, are, are technologies that we don't necessarily have, and this is not unique to South Africa, we are applying what we call reliance, wherein we say, you know, the documentation that's been made available when the product left the country of manufacturing, we will consider that. And it's detailed information that enables us to trace the product, that enables us to assess the quality, but also we look at um, you know, uh, what we call temperature loggers in terms of when it was being transported from the manufacturing country to South Africa, was it still maintained under good conditions? So it's more a paper-based assessment versus an actual assessment, because an actual assessment will take a lot longer. Right. So, so we've we've asked we've asked the company and we've asked uh, people just to send us questions uh, that that they are concerned about. And in fact, how this all came about is we were sitting in a COVID task force meeting and having a conversation about whether our teams whether we need to deal with vaccine hesitancy. And the assumption was that we didn't, but there were a couple of people that had questions around the vaccine, and we realised that. It's not a safe assumption to make that everybody just wants that vaccine in, in their arm. Uh, that might be my view of things, but it, it isn't everybody's. And so what we did was we invited a whole, a, a whole lot of uh, questions from everybody. I guess the first question would be is regard, with regard to the efficacy of the vaccine. We've seen, of course, the Delta variant. We've seen countries like the United States, like Israel, Israel having a particularly strong vaccine, uh, vaccination rollout program. But now they're starting to see uh, cases, breakthrough cases, yes, not particularly serious ones for vaccinated people. But does this mean that we have to manage our expectations around what the vaccines are able to achieve? No, thanks for that question. So, I mean, an important element to highlight is that while vaccines at the moment uh, are indeed one of the strategies that is being utilized across the globe to manage the disease, but also to get us to some sense of normalcy, what vaccines do is they do not prevent an infection. So you will receive a vaccine and you may get infected. That's why we continuously insist on the use of non-pharmaceutical interventions because you may be infected and you could infect another person. There's still studies ongoing to see to what extent can you, um, you know, infect another person. So you can get infected and we've seen people getting infected and we're looking at how many days after post-vaccination we're seeing these infections. So it is, we did expect that we'll get breakthroughs, but the important element is that what is then the disease severity? 
for those that are vaccinated and for those that are unvaccinated? What is the rate of hospitalization and what is the rate of death? And what we've seen is that for those who are vaccinated on these three elements, there is a significant reduction in disease severity, hospitalization and death, which demonstrates that indeed these, these vaccines do confer you know, strong immunity and enable then your body to fight um, the virus, even though you do get infected. Right. In a situation, and, and maybe I'm, I'm not quite clear on this, in a situation where you've had a significant portion of the population vaccinated and there is a variant such as the Delta variant, under circumstances like that, wouldn't it then almost be, become like COVID, become like the flu? In other words, you'll get it, you might get it, there's a good chance that you, you might get it, but in fact, it's not going to be that severe. And I guess the second part of that question is where do we have to get to in terms of the so-called herd immunity in order to be in that situation? Yeah, I mean, very, very important question. Um, you know, what, what we know about viruses is that they do indeed um, mutate, they do change. And hence, even for flu, you need to get the, the, the seasonal um, vaccine. But what the interesting part about the um, coronavirus, the SARS-CoV-2, is that it's the rate at which it's um, having these changes and changes in the side that do either make it more transmissible. We saw with the beta variant, the severity was a lot more than the others. So that's really is what scientists are, are looking into. So one of the conversations that, that are ongoing is about, is there going to be a need for booster doses because of these emerging variants of concerns? Again, it's a question that we are asking. At the moment, there doesn't seem to be strong evidence to suggest that we do need um, boosters. Um, there is a statement that the WHO published on the 10th of August around this. So, you know, that there's a lot that's unknown. And I think to your second point around herd immunity, indeed, I mean, when we all started off, we said, you know, vaccinate 60 to 70% of the population, you'll get your herd immunity. But the minute you have these variants of concerns emerging, you have to then go back and say, have the vaccines that we've utilized do they still demonstrate efficacy against these variants of concerns or not? And if they're not, do you then consider, you know, a, an additional dose or a booster? So there's just so much that's unknown with this mm. virus. Mm. And I guess that is the part that makes people nervous is, is the doctors that we speak to are saying, you know, we, we still knew at this, you know, we, we can deal with what we know now and, and uh, do that to the best of our ability. Uh, but, but there's no doubt that, that the positive results we're seeing from the vaccines around the world is tremendous. A lot of questions uh, were concerning the side effects, the blood clots, the uh, people not feeling well afterwards, all of this type of, do we have stats to show how, how significant the, the side effects are? So we, we, we and, and that, again, that's a very important question and quite soon we'll be issuing um, just some results from, um, from South Africa in terms of the reports that we, we, we received. But so that there's two points I'd like to mention. The first is around what we call adverse events following immunization. So these are side effects that you feel that are not necessarily related to the actual vaccine, but they are related to, you know, a lot of us, you had a sore arm 
a day after this, right? And it's related to the injection uh, at the site, not necessarily to the active that's in the vaccine. You know, you may feel a bit nauseous, et cetera. That's related. So, so not necessarily to the actual product, but it's related to, to um, having been vaccinated. So those were tracking and we've received a number of reports. And typically with those, you feel those effects, um, you know, a day after being vaccinated, they last anything between two days and three days and you feel okay after that. You then have what we call the serious um, adverse effects following immunization. Now, those are the ones that we investigate. And we then go and we look at, for this specific patient, um, who was vaccinated, what else were they taking that led to that serious event? So we've received a lot of those. And in, in a lot of the cases, some of these serious events are either very rare, which is what we saw with the clotting, um, you know, which is also what we saw with the myocarditis. We saw, we've got a case here of a reported myocarditis. So we're monitoring um, you know, all of those, but they're very rare uh, when you look at the total population that has been vaccinated. And the key aspect is to also look at causality. Were these as a result of the person being vaccinated with, for example, a Pfizer vaccine? Or were they because of them being in, uh, in fact, uh, vaccinated with a J&J vaccine? So causality is very important. And that, again, we've seen some reports from studies in the US um, or reports in the US reports in the UK um, around this causality. So again, there's continuous monitoring of these. Again, there's a lot of, you know, like somebody sent in a thing to say, well, their neighbor down the road um, had the vaccine and then they and then they died. Uh, but and it's those types of stories that instill the most terrible fear in us. But as as you say, it, it, it's it's a question of who that person is, what they were taking, if this was the reason that they died. Because I would imagine that when millions of people are being vaccinated, well, some of them would have died from other causes a few days afterwards. Anyway, that's just how it works. How do you respond to that? Exactly. And so that's what we've seen. And so we've looked into every single case of death uh, that has been reported. And as I've said, we're going to be publishing these um, mm. you know, results quite soon so that the public is aware and close to all of them are not linked to, to the vaccine. That's interesting. The ones that we are not able to link, uh, or at least to make a determination, mm -hmm. is because we don't have enough information. We don't have the age of the individual. We don't know what they are, um, you know, what they were taking, what other medication they were taking at the time. But for those where we've got the information, we can say with a level of certainty um, that they were not linked to the vaccine. So, but we continue to monitor because as I said, these are vaccines that have emergency use authorization um, and we have to continuously monitor. Right. A few people asking about if they're suffering from long COVID, if it's dangerous to have the vaccine, if it's good to have the vaccine, what are your findings? Yeah, so what we've seen is that, um, firstly, for, just for a person who has tested positive for COVID, whether you've got long COVID or not, you need to wait at least 30 days after you've, you know, you either PCR negative or you know, your symptoms have cleared before you get a vaccine. Because remember what vaccines are, they use a small piece of the you know, virus or, or in the case of messenger RNA to elicit um, your natural immunity in the body by um, introducing this. So again, your body is going to react. And that's why you have these minor side event effects 
after getting a vaccine. So we recommend 30 day, wait for 30 days before you can get a vaccine. But also those with long COVID, you know, again, the risk of getting COVID is higher than the risk of taking the vaccine. So the benefit risk still really is, 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 is very positive for vaccines. So we recommend, but depending on what the symptoms are, we recommend that they do engage with their health professionals or practitioners and then get advice in terms of whether they should go. Matters, for example, or comorbidities such as hypertension, diabetes, we've seen that if it's not stable, it does cause further complications when one has received a vaccine. So again, we say engage with your health practitioner, make sure that you're stable before you are given a vaccine and also indicate at the site that you are a person who is hypertensive, you are diabetic, et cetera. Is there a, you know, in, in South Africa, of course, we, we're looking at Pfizer as well as the Johnson & Johnson. Is there any, are, are you seeing results in terms of which is more um, effective against the Delta variant? Or is it much the same? It's, it's pretty much the same. Um, so the data that we've received indicates that, you know, um, Pfizer has um, definitely a much higher vaccine efficacy against the Delta variant. J&J, slightly lower than Pfizer, but still within the um, acceptable um, limit. We've seen that even the AstraZeneca that we didn't roll out um, mm. does have um, you know, very good vaccine efficacy against the Delta variant. Um, so at the moment, and that's why we've continued as a country to roll out Pfizer and J&J, because we are comfortable with the data that they've shared with us. And of course, the advantage of the J&J is that for people living in more remote areas, it's one shot, so they don't have to come back. It makes life a little bit easier. Exactly, yeah. Are you still looking at the AstraZeneca vaccine or, or Sinovac or the Sputnik? So the Sinovac vaccine we have authorized uh, with conditions. Um, and one of them is, you know, data again, um, real-life data against the variants uh, of concern. And that was the condition with all of them. That's why they have to give us, um, you know, the data. So Sinovac is authorized. We're still reviewing Sinopharm. We're also reviewing Sputnik, um, the Sputnik vaccine. Um, in terms of AstraZeneca, they have engaged with us on their new data um, against the Delta variant. Right. Uh, so so in, in, as far as you're concerned, there's no real difference if somebody has the option between a Johnson and Johnson and a, a, a Pfizer it makes no material difference no really we are still seeing very strong protection uh, with both the vaccines just that with the one you get um, you know two doses with the other you get one dose but we, we're still seeing them mm, mm. good protection Right. Um, one of our people, somebody asking, are there any risks or concerns if one had the vaccine and then tested positive five days later? We have seen quite a bit of this, in, in fact, and uh, the people that I've spoken to or doctors I've spoken to said that it's, it's more likely that they picked it up at the site than, than of course, than they got it from, from the vaccine. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's very complex and that's one matter that we're looking at because you do have the breakthrough infections, which we typically are seeing 14, in some instances, even 28 days after one has gotten the vaccine. But we've seen those individuals that have received the vaccine and a few days later, they test positive. And so there we really need to understand, um, you know, what is the cause of that? But again, 
It's about the test that was utilized. You know, was it an antibody test um, or was it a PCR test that would look at, you know, do you actually have the virus? So there's a lot that we need to understand. But again, because one would have received the vaccine, we expect that um, the disease severity would be a lot lower than what you would see if they didn't have the vaccine. Do you track vaccine hesitancy in, in South Africa? Is that something that falls under your, your area? Not directly as SAPRA, but other stakeholders like the Department of Health um, and other um, stakeholders, but not necessarily um, as SAPRA, no. All right. Uh, but are we, are we changing in that way? I know anecdotally a lot of people that I've, I spoke to right in the beginning uh, said things like, you know, they're not going to have the vaccine because it freezes your blood and, and all sorts of very, very, um, you know, strange things and, and slowly have, have sort of seen that other people have had vaccines. It all seems to be okay. And so they've been vaccinated. I would imagine that that is a general trend with anything new like this? No, indeed. I mean, with anything new, you will have some level of hesitancy. Um, and one of the things that we, we try to do is to communicate regularly um, on whether it's on the side effects, uh, whether it's on the authorizations that we've made, but also to give the public confidence that as a regulator, public safety is utmost. Mm -hmm. So there mm -hmm. is not a vaccine that we will authorize a SAPRA if we are concerned about its safety, if we are concerned about its efficacy and quality. And I mean, this is demonstrated by um, you know, us agreeing with the decision of the FDA that the vaccines that we had at the Aspen site should not be released because mm. we were, con and it was quite a, I mean, 2 million doses earmarked for that South Africa. Was, yeah. um, you know, so it, it really was on the basis that the public safety is paramount. Right. That must have been an enormously painful decision to make. Yeah, very tough, very tough. Um, I mean, we had numerous um, engagements with the FDA. Um, I mean, some of the vaccines were earmarked for the European market. Mm. So again, with, um, you know, with the European Medicines Agency, with Health Canada. Um, and at the end of, of it all, all of us as regulators, we said public safety is paramount. Incredible. What are your, are you looking at teenagers? Because at this stage, there seems to be approval down to the age of 18. Yeah. So we have received um, a submission from Pfizer to, okay. um, for us to consider it for the 12 um, to, 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 to um, 15, 16 year olds. We're reviewing that data. Okay, good. So that is uh, that is good news because I think a lot of and in, and in fact our younger people are the ones that are very social. They're out and about. So although they might not become as ill statistically, they certainly can uh, spread it, which which I exactly. think is obviously important. Your message to to people who are vaccine hesitant, anxious, what would you say to them? Yeah, I mean, you know, for for us, I mean, I can speak for us as a regulator to say the, as a public, we have to guard the independence of the regulator because in doing so, we know that it will not be influenced to make decisions that compromise public safety. And so what is paramount to myself, to my team um, and the board expected of us is that quality, safety and efficacy are never compromised. So at any point wherein a product doesn't meet this requirements, we will not authorize it. 
And this doesn't just start with COVID. I mean, there's many other medicines that people don't even know that Sapra has rejected because they didn't comply. And so I'd like to urge the public to really have confidence in the regulator that um, we will ensure that products that we authorize are safe because we want to ensure that there's no one in South Africa who when they take a medicine, they have to think twice. And there's many people who are on chronic medication, et cetera. No one ever has to think twice about if I take um, you know, whatever medicine, is it really going to do what it claims to do? Is it safe? We take medication, you know, innocently so, because we know that someone has followed the due process and we really want to uphold that. And, and that's really the message that I'd like to share, but also to encourage the public that please do go get your vaccines. The benefit of getting a vaccine still outweighs the risk of getting the disease. Even with side effects like blood clotting, COVID causes that. So the risk of getting these um, you know, side effects in some instances is higher in COVID than what you would see with the, with the vaccine. So we really would like to urge the public to be vaccinated. As we say, until everyone is safe, no one is safe. And certainly I would second that, uh, Dr. Tumi Sumete, who is the CEO of SAPRA. Thank you for taking the time to speak to us. Thank you for the incredible work that you are doing. And I really, truly believe that as a country, we are blessed to have a regulator that we have. Thank you for taking the time. I'm Howard Feldman. This has been a Synthesis a Podcast. Don't forget to uh, subscribe to our channel below. Have a great day. God bless.